Welcome to this Yamaha Strings Meet the Artist podcast. I'm John Whitman, Manager of Artist Relations and Education for the Yamaha Band and Orchestral Division. In our Meet the Artist series, we'll take some time to talk with some of the artists that are performing on Yamaha's silent electric, as well as acoustic string instruments. We'll take an up-close look at who they are, where they came from, where they're going, and what equipment they are using in their performances. So sit back and enjoy. Don't forget to subscribe to all of our Yamaha Strings podcasts on iTunes and at www.yamahastrings.com. Yamaha artist Christian Howes continues to blaze a new trail for jazz violinists through his innovative improvisation, composition, and arrangements. Join Yamaha Strings marketing manager Ken Datmore in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Christian as they discuss his music, instruments, and what's ahead for one of the jazz world's fastest rising stars. Hi, Chris. Thanks for taking the time from your schedule to talk with us. Oh, my pleasure, Ken. Thanks for having me. Well, I know you've been busy this past year. Um, why don't you tell us what you've been up to? Well, yeah, this, this last year has been uh, pretty busy. Uh, mostly the main thing I've been doing lately that I'm real excited about is playing. It's my first uh, pre really prestigious uh, sideman gig where I'm touring a lot in Europe, and it's with the legendary saxophone player Bill Evans. For those of you who aren't familiar with the saxophonist Bill Evans, he played with Miles Davis for a few years in the 80s, and after that has gone on to have a really extensive career in Europe. And so we were, we've been over in Europe about three months out of the last year just touring. Um, you know, we were in Norway, uh, France, Germany, Italy, Spain, Slovenia, Austria, Holland, Portugal, and several other European countries. And it's with his new group called Soulgrass, uh, the record for which was nominated for a Grammy just this last year. So it's been really exciting, and we're starting to bring it over to the States. We've been uh, performing in the States at, like, jam band festivals and that sort of thing. So uh, it's been a great chance to, uh, to learn in the, the traditional way that jazz musicians have always learned by playing with a, an established leader. And through playing with Bill, I've got to work with along great musicians like Victor Bailey on, on bass, Adam Rogers on guitar, Joel Rosenblatt on drums, uh, Rick Ferrabracci on bass, just a ton of great players. So I'm really excited about it. And, of course, I've continued to do my leader projects uh, in the gaps. So I've continued a lot of my touring, uh, European touring with my Spanish-based trio, the acoustic the European acoustic trio, I call it, and, and we play a lot of classical music with, uh, with improvisation. We do a lot of what I like to call Eurocentric treatments of jazz standards as well. In addition to that, I've been on several recordings as a sideman lately. I was on a, uh, a jazz Caribbean project, on a project with Daphnis Prieto, who's uh, taken New York by storm and widely considered the leading Afro-Cuban uh, drummer of his generation. Uh, I did a CD with Joel Harrison, great composer in New York City, and uh, played on it uh, with a cellist and trombonist who is uh, very friendly with Yamaha as well. His name is Dana Leong. 
So I've just been extremely busy, not to mention uh, a lot of education work in the last year, um, clinics all around the world, uh, teaching at summer camps, and, of course, my own summer camp, um, which happened for the, the second year uh, and is geared up to uh, really lift off next year. We're planning on having a, a huge third year. So just really busy, really happy with everything that's going on. I'm here in New York City and been on the road about 200 days, I guess, this year between European and domestic touring and lots of frequent trips to Columbus, Ohio, my hometown, where in addition to doing some gigging and some education stuff, I also take time to be with my nine-year-old daughter, Camille. So it sounds like you've seen a lot of the world in the past year. Yeah, it's been it's been crazy, as you know from our our frequent uh, trying to catch each other. You know, if I'm not gone, you're somewhere, and so it, we never know which time zone either of us is in. <laughs> well, well, the camp thing sounded interesting because uh, uh, because every it sounds more towards the educational side. If you want to, do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Is it is it something for kids, or is it local to uh, to the Columbus area? Well, thanks for asking. Yeah. Uh, the official title of my, my uh, string summer camp is the Christian House Creative Strings Workshop, and it's geared for violinists, violists, and cellists age 18 and higher, although I will make exceptions for some teenagers, exceptional teenagers, and it's really geared for string players who are serious about having alternative careers in string playing, so i.e., something other than you know, playing with just just with a symphony orchestra. And, of course, I've done a lot of symphonic playing in my life, and I think orchestral playing is, is, is a real blast. It's a lot of fun, and there's a lot of great repertoire to play in orchestras, but there are many string players um, around the world who are more and more becoming interested in, you know, adding some spice to their life, you know, to their musical life. Because, frankly, there are a lot of orchestral musicians that I've met who feel frustrated. They feel that they're just kind of clocking it in. And, you know, they're playing, whether it's from complaints about the repertoire because they're playing the same old pops music or the same old, you know, classical hits. Because, of course, orchestras are motivated by the same financial um, and practical concerns that, that, that everybody else <laughs> is motivated by. So they have to make concessions to their audience and play repertoire that's not maybe the most challenging or not the most fresh. But I'm real evangelical about promoting this idea of having a more multifaceted musical career. So where you might play, for example, in, uh, in an Irish band on uh, Friday nights, and you might play with a bluegrass band on Saturdays, and you might play a gospel church service Sunday morning and play with a rock band on Monday night and do a classical string quartet for a wedding on Tuesday. For me, that's what's fun, and I see that a lot of other string players are really gravitating towards this, too. And they need the skills uh, to be able to improvise and be able to play in a multitude of styles. So what my workshop, the Creative Strings Workshop, what it does is it teaches them on the job to go out and do all these different gigs. So, for example... At this year's camp that we just held, July 3rd through the 9th, I scheduled 18 concerts during the six-day workshop. And it was the curriculum for all the participants at my camp was go out and play these gigs. Now, that included um, bluegrass in a basement. It included uh, a, 
an outdoor barbecue where they were playing swing with a singer, included a gospel church service, included playing writing and playing your own string charts with a funk band, playing in jazz clubs, playing with a salsa band, and on and on. So I'm totally excited about it because aside from the fact that this is jazz and strings and you know string improvisation going on at my camp, it's also a new model for educating serious professional musicians about about the professional world. You know, because we can't separate our artistic ambition from the professional and practical constraints and realities. The, the truth is that the only way we're going to learn to be good on the gig is by being on the gig. And so that's that's what really excites me is that the model for my workshop is that we're interacting within a real city as professional musicians throughout the week. And it's, you know, sink or swim, you know, show up to the gig and deal with all the problems that happen, the, the technology, the people, you know, the human element of gigging, you know, the weather, all these things. So at my workshop, we really give everybody that experience, and I'm just super, super excited about it. Great. So it sounds like you're making a big effort to give back some of the education that you got over the years. Well, I really am. You know, one of my teachers, Michael Davis, who uh, studied at Guildhall and was uh, contemporary with uh, Yehudi Menuhin, I remember telling him a long time ago when I was in college, I said, well, you know, Michael, I'm never going to be able to pay you back for all these lessons, you know, discounted lessons that you've given me over the years. And he said, well, you know, he said, I always figure if you can't give back, you've got to try to give forward. And so that's, you know, that's what I try to do. It's kind of me remembering all the gifts that have been given to me and, and trying to give forward. And also, it doesn't hurt that I've got a nine-year-old daughter, so I take a real, I have a vested interest in being an educator because I want to teach her and I want to open the world up for her to, to have as a place and for her to meet people. And so, so it gives me a real thrill to meet all these people through education because I know those are people that, you know, my daughter someday is going to play with them or get to know them and, you know, so it's 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 just a win-win situation. Well, I can see how your daughter gets uh, gets to be a violinist with a with a dad like Chris Howes. But uh, but how does Chris Howes get started? Can we talk about your own beginning? Well, sure. Thanks for asking. Uh, I was uh, the product of uh, two voice majors in college. My my mom and dad both went to Ohio State University, and after about a year or two as vocal majors. Uh, my mom got pregnant at a very young age, and uh, they decided, you know, they wanted to have a, a stabler, you know, life. So my dad went into uh, business, and, and my mom kind of helped put him through uh, business school, and then they started their own business. Uh, but they pledged that they were going to put their kids into music, and they saw a demonstration of some Suzuki violin kids, and they decided they wanted me to do Suzuki violin. So at age five, my parents enrolled me in a, a local Suzuki violin class, and uh, it was great. I highly recommend the Suzuki method to anybody. The Suzuki method emphasizes learning by ear and really learning in a similar way that babies learn to speak. You know, that babies learn by emulating their, their mothers or fathers or the people around them. They learn how to speak uh, human languages. So Suzuki had this idea that you know, young kids could learn to play music in the same way, and it's, it's really a great method, and it also encourages parental involvement. So it's, it's the idea of nurturing a parent-child relationship through music and nurturing the learning of music 
through that parental-child relationship. So I did uh, Suzuki private lessons, group lessons, recitals, all that stuff, uh, summer camps, all the way until I was about 12 or 13. Then I graduated from Suzuki, and then I went on to study, you know, the traditional concert violin repertoire, played all the main concertos and played all the etudes, all the Paganini and all that stuff. But when I was about, I guess, 15, when I was in high school, I noticed that, uh, you know, some of my buddies had picked up a guitar or some drums, and everybody was really interested in what they were doing, even though they just started playing music and, and were already jamming along to Led Zeppelin records and, you know, Eric Clapton and this kind of stuff. And I thought, what's going on here? I've been playing the violin for... <laughs> You know, 10 years, and here I'm playing Paganini, and nobody's interested. They're more interested in my buddy who just picked up a guitar like two weeks ago, and he's playing these blues licks alongside a Jimi Hendrix tune. So at first I thought, well, I must just not be creative like my friends. You know, they're able to jam. They're able to really be fluent in these popular musical languages and rock and roll and blues. What, you know, what's wrong with me? Why, why can't I do these things? I mean, I'm an accomplished musician, aren't I? So, I, you know, I picked up a bass and a guitar, and uh, it was pretty easy to learn the bass and the guitar after having been trained on the violin. It's one of the things that I encourage you know, young string players to do is if they are playing violin and they want to get into other styles of music, you know, consider playing electric bass or guitar. You know, it'll really it'll bring the music, uh, it'll make it more accessible to you in some ways, and, and it'll help you develop some of the skills that you're going to need eventually to transfer it over on the violin. But anyway, I started playing a little bass, a little guitar, Got into rock music, got into uh, a little bit of blues and fusion and stuff like that. And it wasn't until about four years later that it finally occurred to me, well, why don't I play the violin on this other music? Because <laughs> you know, anyway, I'm a better violinist than I am guitarist or bass player. So then I just started experimenting with, you know, pulling out the violin and trying to play a little blues or a little fusion or rock licks. And, you know, I remember I transcribed the guitar solo for Stairway to Heaven, you know, and uh, and things like that, and it was you know it was pretty easy to play those things. What really brought it home because at first I remember transcribing the solo and trying to make it sound like the electric guitar solo, but it was there was something missing. And so as soon as I was able to play through distortion pedal, that's when it really hit me. Like oh yeah, this totally works now. You know it's it's all about having a distortion pedal or a wah wah pedal. You know for these guitarists, and that's what makes it sound like that, that epic rock guitar solo. So, you know, so a few Eurekas later, and, you know, I was about 21, and I was really on the path to, to be a jazz musician, which is, you know, what I'm into today. But by jazz, I mean just more of a, an all-encompassing attitude of being open to lots of styles of music and being able to improvise in all these different styles. So do you think your, your Suzuki background gave you some some advantage over the ability to, to improvise because because for a lot of players improvisation um, maybe be even more so for string players because they're they're taught to read music right from the very beginning they feel a little bit lost in a world of improvisation do you think Suzuki helped you I definitely think Suzuki helped me to build my ear and having an ear is really important and my daughter now she studies with my first Suzuki teacher, Ginny Christofferson in Columbus. And so I, I you know, definitely believe in the method because that's what I want for my daughter, and I wouldn't want anything but the best for her. But I, I will say that I augment 
her Suzuki training by what I would do from, from age three when she first started playing the violin. I thought to myself, well, she's going to do Suzuki just like I did, but we're also going to incorporate improvisation from the very beginning. Because I always had this real conviction that there's no reason young people couldn't start improvising from day one on their violin. So from day one, you know, we did the Suzuki lesson. At the end of the lesson, I said, okay, now, Camille, just make anything you want up on your violin. And we've always done that at the end of the lesson. It's just time for a makeup song. And she'll just, you know, make stuff up. And as she's grown as a player, she's made more and more complex things. Just like little kids, you know, when they're two or three years old, you give them a crayon and a piece of paper, and you don't need to tell them what to do. They make stuff. You know, they scribble, and you pick it up, and you say, wow, this is gorgeous, and you hang it on the wall. And over time, the scribbles, they become more and more, you know, compelling. And and that's what's happened with her with the violin. And, and uh, it's, you know, again, part of why I've been real eager develop more educational tools that can complement uh, the Suzuki method. And I do believe it to be a really great method, but it's, I think it's important to have other tools in place as well to complement that, that method or augment the method. Uh, in a similar way, a lot of Suzuki teachers will introduce reading, you know, because that's not, that's not part of the pure Suzuki approach, but a lot of teachers recognize that there are practical needs and uh, associated with today's players, and so they'll, they'll get the kids reading. So to date, I believe you have something like eight albums. Is that the correct number? Yes. Uh, good, good research, Ken. You've, <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed because I know you've got so many things on your mind. But, uh, um, yeah, I have seven CD projects, and they're available at my website, www.christianhouse.com, and that's H-O-W-E-S. And I also have a DVD, which is due to be released any time now, any, any week now, hopefully, next, hopefully by uh, late August, early September, this, uh, the DVD will be released on Arcadia DVD. So that'll be eight total projects that I have, and uh, all of them are self-produced, self-owned, or owned collaboratively, except for the DVD project, which is going to be available through Arcadia Records. So by the, by the time this this podcast hits uh, hits iTunes, you should uh, you should have yours pretty much finished and wrapped up and ready to go. That's my hope. Of course, you never you know you never want to hold your breath with record labels. I mean, you know, everybody, everybody's trying to meet deadlines, and they're no exception. What's uh, what's different about this this release mu- from a musical standpoint? What's different about this one than let's say your first or your third? How's How's things evolved over over the course of that many albums? Well, that's a great that's a great question. My my first record was called Confluence, and uh, I was very young uh, as a jazz musician. I mean, I was really just starting out, and so I included a lot of tracks from you know classical string quartets and uh, salon classical salon pieces, and then I had jazz standards and some R and B kind of classic tunes and stuff like that. And it was really kind of intended to be mm, not pretentious in, in the way of saying, like, this is, you know, this is where I'm at right now. This is where I've come from as a classical player, and I'm trying these new things. The next project I did after that, Ten Yard, was um, a very personal record with all original music. And it was a, a big step forward for me to actually try to write my own songs and lead a band. 
After that, I wanted to do a live recording that was really featuring and drawing attention to the Yamaha Silent Electric Violin, which at the time I was playing the first model. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow it here. What's the first model of the YSEV? It's the... Uh, 120, Boy, it goes, 110. It goes back. It goes back before me, but I, I believe there was a 100, and then there was the a 110. And That's right. So the first, I guess this must have been seven or eight years ago when Yamaha first came. And I got to tell you a story about <laughs> the uh, what, how I was introduced to the Yamaha electric violin while we're talking about it. Because I remember I I heard someone said, "Well, Yamaha's making electric violins." I said, "You got to be kidding me!" You know, because there was only these very small. Um, kind of garage makers and stuff, at, you know, at the time, for what I knew anyway. And so I called, I called you guys out of the blue, and I said, hey, I heard you guys are making violins. I'd like to check it out. Uh, where are you based? At the time you were based, you had an office in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which wasn't too far from where I lived in Columbus. So I scheduled a gig up there, and I came up, and you guys uh, met with me and let me try out the violin. We had some dinner. We talked, and uh, I decided to, to play the violin on the gig, which was actually being recorded on radio that night. So I played for the whole night, and of course, I didn't really know what to, what to make of it, but after the gig, my band members, I said, you know, what do you think? Everybody in my, my band, hands down, they said, this is the best sound you've ever had. And, you know, when you're, when you're in the moment and you're playing the music, you don't always know what to think, like, how does it sound, or, you know. Um, but, you know, I definitely trusted the guys in my band because uh, they'd been hearing me play for quite a while. So from that moment on, I was a Yamaha guy, and uh, you guys have advanced the instruments considerably since then with uh, a few generations of uh, the silent electric violin, and now you also have the, the electric violin. And in the last year, I started using the VNP-1, which is the pickup for an acoustic violin. And it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's heads and shoulders above all the other pickup systems out there. Because for a while there, I was, you know, a lot of people were asking me, well, you know, the, the electric violin sounds great, and it's got a certain sound, and, um, but why don't you ever use the acoustic violin? And I said, well, I would love to use my acoustic violin, but, you know, I can't ever get it to sound good with the pickups that are out there. So, so now, you know, whether I'm recording or playing live, I, I'll use either or. I'll use the silent violin for certain things, and I'll use the acoustic with the VMP1 for other things. But anyway, I'm getting on a tangent here. The third record, again, I wanted to make a live recording, you know, to really showcase playing and also showcase the sound of the, of the Yamaha Silent Electric Violin. Uh, after that, I made several collaborative recordings that were kind of specialized um, in their scope. So a couple albums with my Spanish trio that focus on classical themes with improvisation, then a project with brilliant young violinist named Billy Contreras that we call Jazz Fiddle Revolution. And we did a bunch of duos, two violin performances, and also some special guesting by Dana Leong, brilliant cellist. So did that project, and then for the last four or five years I was working on a recording that I called Song for My Daughter, which is another recording of all original music with lots of productions where I layer strings, I use a lot of different sounds, you know, draws heavily from pop music and from a variety of influences to make like a, a, a full statement as a producer, multi-instrumentalist, composer, arranger, and player. And the DVD, since you asked about the DVD, 
was recorded a, a couple years ago in Spain with a quintet, and we play everything from piazzola to uh, traditional jazz to some modern rocked-out stuff. and It's just a great production quality. There's a great production quality, so I'm real happy that it's finally going to be coming out because a lot of students, you know, they want to see you play, and they want to see the ambience and see the atmosphere and see the interaction of the band, so I'm really glad that we we finally got that. So what does Chris Howes have in his future? Is there a, is there a, a, a next a next plan on the drawing boards for you? Well, thanks. Thanks for asking. Um, right now, I'm really focused on some of these educational-driven projects. Um, so what I've done recently is I've got a bunch of charts from some of the recordings that I've done, including the Jazz Fiddle Revolution, the Jazz Fiddle Revolution CD. And uh, these charts, I think, are really exciting because uh, they're set up totally different. Like, for example, we all know about the, most of your listeners probably know about the Turtle Island String Quartet charts, and there's a lot of string quartet repertoire that's been um, created over the last couple decades to meet the needs of alternative strings players. But what I did was I came up with charts that you can play either duo trio with two violins and cellos, or quartet with three violins and cellos, or standard string quartet. And I like to think of these as almost like training wheels for jazz string bands. <laughs> because a lot of the, the quartets that exist out there, they're just arranged parts, and then they'll have a little solo section. But they don't really give all the other players that aren't taking that one solo an opportunity to improvise or they don't give people um, ideas for how to improvise all the parts of the tune, like the bass function, the inner voices, um, the melody. So I'm particularly excited about these charts. You can get the charts on my website. I'm really excited about the camp. I'm going to develop the camp um, so that next year we're probably going to have somewhere between 40 and 60 attendees. And uh, it's been my creative challenge to try to manage this you know, this camp, and, and after this year, I, I know that there's a lot of things I can do even better next year, and I'm really excited to improve upon that. In the meantime, working on, you know, more Sideman projects, uh, working hard with Bill Evans, um, continuing my touring, continuing teaching at a lot of camps, and just in general, just uh, trying, to, trying to be out there. Well, we hope we'll, uh, we'll have you on board with, you, with Yamaha in the future, too, because we appreciate your your work for us and and you're a great representative for our product i just want to let listeners know they can feel free to email me at my website and ask me any questions about the yamaha product there's a lot of people that frequently ask me you know <laughs> what about this and what about you know amplifiers and you know uh pedals and other accessories to make sure that you get a good sound with the instrument i'm always happy to answer questions and in fact i uh i'm going to be publishing some things on the website that include tips for accessorizing your instruments and, you know, getting different sounds and stuff like that. Well, it's been great talking to you, and uh, we'll recap that uh, for more information, you can you can visit christianhouse.com, and for more in- information on Yamaha's line of silent electric and acoustic strings, you can, you can navigate to yamahastrings.com. Thanks again, Cano. It's been great talking with you. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate the time. Thank you for listening in on this Yamaha Strings Meet the Artist podcast. 
We hope you've found it inspirational and a valuable experience. For more information on Yamaha Strings, navigate your browser to www.yamahastrings.com or email us directly at strings at yamaha.com. <laughs>